All right. Firstly, then to get to to get us warmed up and to get yep. the question out of the way, Katie, where in the world are you? Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. So I'm in. Uh, it's actually sunny Devon today. Yeah, I'm in sunny Devon, southwest, quite near the beach. So it's quite nice. Oh, lovely. I'm heading that, well, sort of going through on my way to Cornwall, providing I can get fuel, obviously. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, on Friday. So, yeah, I'm kind of like trying not to think too much about that at the moment. Um, <laughs> but yes, I'm passing through next week, actually, on Friday. So oh, how lovely. Coming down for a bit. So, yeah. Welcome to the Full Stop Podcast with your hosts, Berenice Smith, Sarah Lawrence, and me, Michael Hughes. Now, if this is your first time here, our podcast is centred around supporting the Childless Not By Choice community, and our aim is to be a focal point for the community and with all our special guests, show you how to manage your grief and give a voice to the issues specific to us. And by example, show that a full and happy life can be had without those children we dearly wanted. The inclusion issue of childlessness and the workplace is starting to become more visible. And this episode, we were thrilled to talk to Katie Schnitzler, the founder of Mist Workshops. Now, they are a training company helping organisations to better support employees experiencing the prevalent yet taboo issues of miscarriage, infertility and childlessness. And they provide workshops and policy writing to promote a whole organisational approach. So let's meet Katie and find out what she gets up to. For our listeners, Katie, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so yeah, thank you so much for having me. First and foremost, um, I'm honoured to be here to speak about the work that I do. Um, So my name's Katie and I run a training company called MIST Workshops. What I do with MIST is we actually go in and we help organisations to recognise reproductive taboos um, mainly. So pregnancy loss being being one, also infertility and obviously um, childlessness as well. So what we do is we offer training to organisations to really help to raise awareness of the issues that people are facing because, you know, these issues are so pervasive, yet they feel like they're so rare because of the taboos attached to them. Um, so as you're probably aware, so obviously it's, it's one in four, um, you know, pregnancies end in loss. They actually think that could be higher because these are just the ones that are clinically recorded. Um, And then couples going through infertility. Some statistics show it's one in eight couples, some show one in six. Um, We really don't know the the full amount, really, again, because it's based on, you know, people who are actually seeking treatment. Um, Childlessness, as you know, one in five. Um, Unfortunately, the stats, there aren't many on men. Um, but it's estimated one in five women um, are childless, not through choice. Um, or, well, one in five are childless, but um, 90% of them are childless, not by choice, sorry. So, you know, this is a huge issue and um, we're there to try and tackle the, the stigma and to raise awareness of how many people this is actually affecting. 
and raising awareness about the triggers really that people are facing every day in, in the workplace. Because what we find is unfortunately, um, society is very pronatal. Um, there's an expectation that everybody who wants children can just have them, you know, just like that. As soon as they start trying, everything's going to go smoothly. And unfortunately, this is reinforced by film and media and everything else. Um, so, yeah, really, we, we offer training for companies, but we also do policy writing, policy reviewing. Um, and just more recently, we started doing research for companies as well. So companies that want to find out what is actually happening in their place of work, you know, how are people experiencing these issues, um, just so that they can see, you know, the unique ways that perhaps we can work with them to, to bring them to light and to help so that they don't lose talent. So how do you how do you get your foot in the door to these places? Is it uh, are you invited, or do you do you go on the offensive and go? Excuse me, there's something here you need to be thinking about. <laughs> yeah, so we've run some webinars, and um, we've had quite a lot of interest through that. So you know, when it's Baby Loss Awareness Week, for example, um, and obviously World Childless Week. Um, we try and use those platforms to raise awareness about what we do and it's been really well received by by many organizations um, unfortunately um, you know there is an issue with the fact that some of these things are still minimized I don't think some managers really realize the extent of how you know these things are impacting on their employees mainly because their employees are silenced. So, so many people are going through these issues, but they feel unable to actually speak out. And one of the reasons is because there isn't, you know, transparent policies on, on these issues. So it creates even more of a silence. People aren't aware of their entitlement to leave, for example. Um, yeah, there's just, there's so, so many things, but, um, yeah, so we've kind of then, through word of mouth, so when we've worked with an organisation, they've then told other organisations about what we do. Um, unfortunately, some companies want a more off-the-shelf kind of approach, so they want us to just write a policy for them and then, you know, say, right, we've got this policy now, great. But what we find is actually we need to train HR and train managers and actually take a more organisational wide approach um to actually tackle the kind of pronatal you know like the things that are more subtle um that people might not realize that they're triggering but just things like when people say oh I, you know I'm going to have the day off to go to my child's nativity play you know and they might speak about that in the office in front of everybody and they might just not realize you know because they might think oh well so-and-so doesn't have children, but, oh, that must be a choice, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's really educating, like, the whole workforce, really. I guess it's like a hands-off kind of attitude I can see coming through there, that if you write it for them, then they don't have to actually kind of perhaps read it until maybe they need to read it, and therefore they're not necessarily engaging with the words in the way that you might have, they've had a, a 
conversation with you about it or been a bigger part of instigating it perhaps is that kind of how you you see that sometimes absolutely so we don't actually um sell you know a uh, just an off-the-shelf policy that people can adopt because we don't believe that it's an effective way to, you know, it just kind of feels like just ticking that box, really. So it's more about educating about the implicit ways as well. So not just changing policy because anyone can have a policy, you know, it's written black and white and, yeah, great, but it doesn't mean it's being enforced. Um, So that's something that we feel very passionate about. Um, having the training alongside um, the policies as well. And then also rewriting existing policies because often, you know, family-friendly policies, for example, um, we need to make sure that people with children are not having unfair privilege, you know, having more flexible working, having more um, options for part-time homeworking. Yeah, this is what we're coming up against a lot. And people who don't have children are feeling like, well, I don't have a reason to ask to go part time, you know, because I'm I'm not a mum. You know, and it's really like, you know, it's it's heartbreaking when you hear, you know, of of people, how how they feel that. And it's it's actually, um, you know, it does create this divide. And some of it is unintentional because in pushing this family narrative all the time, we are excluding, and I just don't think that organisations are noticing um, how they might be creating disparities. I'm, I'm curious. So you, obviously policy is great, as you say, but you don't want it to be a tick box. How do you get that change of culture? Because that would be a massive shift, wouldn't it? As you say, it's it's quite family-centric, pronatalist. How do you get that shift? Yeah, so um, we do provide um, training workshops, and we promote that we do that across the organization so not just with HR and not just with managers um, because changing the culture is so difficult in an organization Um, but especially when you know the workplace echoes kind of societal values doesn't it so the fact that we expect all people to become parents and we celebrate it and when people aren't mums and dads you know there's this narrative around oh you know because they must be cold or oh they're career driven or you know whatever other stereotypes there are um so yeah we really feel that it's educating about the more implicit ways that we're pronatal um so for example one thing we've come up against is um baby showers happening in the workplace for example now, that might seem like a really positive thing to do for somebody, but actually it's very triggering for many people, you know? So it's actually trying to show that you, you can celebrate somebody's news, but you need to be mindful of how that can actually not be appropriate in a workplace. You know, taking that outside of a workplace, making it optional, um, but because of the pandemic and, you know, people doing things on Zoom and Teams, um, there have been issues that we found where people are having baby showers online during the work time. And it's kind of like, how do you get out of that without making it so obvious that you're struggling? And people don't want to admit that they're struggling with trying to conceive or um, that they've had a loss because 
they they're fearful of discrimination you know they're fearful of reprimands um if they think oh I can't tell my manager because they'll know that I'm trying for a baby so then I won't get made permanent or I might be at risk of redundancy and you know it's it's trying to really raise awareness that actually organizations are going to lose out rather than um you know being one-sided and just the employee employee leaving um it's actually going to affect the the organization as well because this isn't just happening to you know one person this is you know very a, a large issue it's huge isn't it i remember i you have to put a trigger warning on this one berenice but i remember you know that superstition that you don't tell anybody that you're pregnant for the first three months and then obviously the flip side to that is you can't tell anybody if you've had a loss I found that really difficult to deal with. I had a male manager who had children and there were people on, on the team who were young, who were falling pregnant. I was like, trigger, trigger, trigger. It makes that so difficult to manage, doesn't it? So it's not just cultural change. There's a whole, as you say, like a microcosm of bigger society around the superstitions that we have to adhere to. That's gonna, that takes a lot of work, doesn't it? To not fix it, you know what I mean? Address. Yeah, we do come across this with um, because workplaces, you know, historically are more kind of male dominated and they're more based on like the male body norm. So pregnancy has been hidden from workplaces for a long time because it's kind of like, you know, you don't want to seem that you're not um, reliable. You don't want to seem that, oh, my career is coming second now. You know, there's there's so much to this, isn't there? But definitely that that hiding, that 12-week rule um, is so difficult because then you're announcing, okay, I, I was pregnant, but I'm not anymore. And it's all just all in one go almost, isn't it? Um, and also the feeling that when you get to 12 weeks, oh, I'm safe now and I, I can tell everybody. So then if you have a loss, a later loss or a stillbirth, you know, there's you feel like, oh my goodness, everybody in my workplace knows now that I was pregnant and I have to go back I'd love to use work as a distraction to to restore and to focus on something else. But I can't because everybody's aware now of what's happened to me. They're treating me differently. Um, yeah. yeah, I've been I've been through that when I went through the last IVF and. Um, people had to know about it because I had to leave at certain times. I spoke about it briefly in the webinar. Um, that we did with World Childless Week but people knew because I had to get on the train and then a colleague kicked up a fuss because I was leaving earlier on a Friday simply because I was exhausted um, and she wanted the same treatment as a mother and <laughs> I just can remember just thinking I'd, I'd, I'll have to just say and, and it was odd people's actual reactions to going through IVF was strange. Some people just didn't quite know what to say and they were parents, but they'd have their children naturally, but just didn't know what to say. And then I found that people got really hopeful yeah. on my behalf. And the worst part for me, of well, one of the worst parts, I think there's lots of worst parts to it all, but one of the big overriding worries I had was actually going back. Yeah. The point where I thought, I don't know if I want to go back. And then when I finally got made redundant, along with heaps of other colleagues, in a way, it was actually a relief. But it was a different relief. So we were going through the whole redundancy thing and we had to work three months 
or whenever we just chose to leave but it was at least three months and sat there thinking actually this is just such a relief thank god because I can get out um and I'll get some money for getting out because actually I got redundancy pay oh my god it was and it was odd time because my attitude towards it was slightly different um but yeah the, the this this odd kind of thing where we're sat and it's so visible you're at your desk and you've got your colleagues all around you and it's like a fishbowl and somehow or another whatever part of whatever you're going through and I've been in situations even whilst I've been we've been presenting the podcast and I think oh well I'm talking therefore I'm getting a little bit better but I've been in situations where I've been triggered still and someone has said to me but I thought you were over that absolutely it's I don't think people realize it's a grief yeah and it's lifelong I think whatever situation that you're in whether it's by circumstance whether it's it's because of medical physical it it's a lifelong grief it doesn't go away it will always be there you just have different days and different ways of dealing with it but it's permanent it's what JD calls the disenfranchised grief yes absolutely it's a grief you just can't speak out about Mm. um and if you do you you know it might be minimized um you know oh well at least I mean some of the things you hear oh at least you can still have a drink at least you can have a lie-in. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just, yeah. It, I mean, it, it is unbelievable, really. Um, and then you think, goodness, you know, actually, the, how grief affects you and people assuming that you, you're able to have a lie-in and you're really enjoying, you know, your life. And yeah. I got told I could sleep through the night. Oh. Or sleep through the night. And I just remember mm-hmm. saying, well... When you're woken up, you're woken up by a child. I'm woken up by nightmares. Yeah. I'm woken exactly. up by grief, by loss, by absolute overwhelming. Two yeah. in the morning, there is not a single person out there who feels the way that I do. At least you can go online to mum's net and you can talk about it with somebody and you will have a whole avalanche of people going, yeah, I know. Absolutely. Where have I got to in the morning, really? I mean, luckily there are things now, but I remember at the time thinking there was absolutely nothing out there and but then again you get accused of being bitchy and angry don't you you know so you (laughs) whatever you would say you know you you, you're damned either way and we're allowed to be angry about it but it's all no it's inappropriate for the workplace (laughs) you know it's so true and I, I found it interesting what you said about um when you you said that you're having fertility treatment and people getting hopeful is one of the things that we're finding. And it's because I think often in the media, it's portrayed that when you have fertility treatment, oh, it's all going to work. It's all going to be great. Yes, it's expensive, but oh, well, you're going to get a baby at the end of it. And actually failure rate, 75% failure rate. Yeah, it's something like 72, 75, 76, something like that. It's in the 70s. And that always pulls people up sharp if you say it every single time I've said it there is an audible intake of breath um because you only hear the good stuff but actually sometimes the good stuff is actually to talk about the losses that's the good stuff it's not painful stuff it's the crap stuff but it's the good stuff because it will make one other person feel 
less lonely. So true, so true. And um, another thing we come up against is um, people, you know, with a sense of failure and the, the shame of saying that actually I wanted children, but I couldn't, you know, and going into the reasons is very triggering often. But what we find is some people will say, oh, I just tell people I just didn't want children because it's too painful for me to open those wounds. Um, and of course, that then um, it's it kind of reinforces the taboo of it, doesn't it? Um, and you can understand why people don't want to talk about it, of course. But then it makes it kind of um, reinforces the idea that pregnancy is controllable and, oh, look, they only don't have children because they didn't want them, you know. Um, but I think the other thing you were saying as well is, you know, it's a lifelong grief. It's so true and it can catch you out of the blue. So you might be having a really nice week. You know, you might feel I'm really I'm making progress. I'm feeling like, you know, I've been really distracted. Work's been good whatever you know I've met friends it's been great and then all of a sudden out of nowhere someone will say to you oh so do you have children and it's that stab to the heart it's like oh you know and um I don't think people realize and this is another thing that we're trying to inform especially colleagues of because people mean well that they might be trying to make conversation with you but it's that assumption that you know, everybody has children, everybody can have children. Um, and it's so triggering, you know, not just people who, um, you know, perhaps that they're older and, and they don't have children, maybe they've gone through the grief and they feel they've accepted. But this can be for people who are trying to conceive, you know, or, or people that have ill illnesses that mean that they can't have children, you know, it can just be just so triggering. I found it a lot in networking groups as well, where people just, you know, you go to kind of like shindig things and people just say, you know, oh, well, you know, children, they assume that you, you have. Um, there was a, a day that I, I, pay, I paid a ticket to um, this um, freelance heroes day. Um, and it was about a year, two years ago. And I'd, I'd paid money for this. And all of the people presenting on these in the morning had said, you know, I'm a mum, or I'm dad too, da, 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 da. and they all talked about their family set, and then went into the training. And then the third speaker announced, oh, well, you know, when we've got some great news, I'm, you know, my wife's pregnant. Oh. That was by lunchtime. And I thought, no, I know I've paid money for this. I know I can learn stuff, but no, actually, no, because I don't know what the afternoon is going to bring. I've My bucket is now too full. Yeah. I can't do this anymore and so I I left um and I've actually naturally now migrated to groups where I know that it's slightly more diverse or actually that the people running it um I know aren't parents mm. or at least are open-minded to listen in fact actually one of the groups that I belong to um is actually very good it's not f completely free from triggers but actually I have safe a safe space to say or it's too much or that if I don't turn up that day and actually I know that actively the person that runs the group um is listening to the podcast is listening to what I'm talking about yeah. 
um, and is aware of that and a few people within that are too who are themselves parents which is incredibly gratifying but it's taken me to say to go beyond the the, the, the statement I don't have children to say something else in order to probably open up those conversations so regardless I've had to to yeah to, to say a I hate calling it a weakness because it isn't because all the people I meet through the podcast and all the stuff we do is so absolutely stronger than so many. They really, really are. All all of our guests are, all of you are. But it's what other people perceive to be a weakness. Absolutely. Just like not the norm. Yeah. Yeah. You're different. You're different. Um, oh, you tried something and you failed or maybe you didn't even try maybe yeah. you didn't even try hard enough yeah try hard uh, enough yeah here's some fixes for you because in the business community everyone is used to um problems and offering solutions it's indoctrinated into you I think as an employee um and a business owner that you you have a problem and you fix it and therefore I, I think in fairness to people and to, to colleagues who perhaps choose to be child choose to be child free or are parents they probably are used to that it's what they're used to because mm. that's what we do um you know yeah absolutely and um one thing that we've we found is that often people will leave their jobs because it might be the nature of the work they do so it might be that they just don't have capacity you know if they're doing a job that's quite mentally demanding or emotionally demanding um so recently i um spoke to a lady she's actually a midwife and she's had losses and she's um you know it's assumed that she has children because she's a midwife same with primary teachers you know uh, it just people leaving careers that they've worked really hard to go into and they're really good at but just those kind of triggers um sometimes working with pregnant women so people working in HR but you know that they, they know that they have to to work you know and advise people who are pregnant um people who are parents um and sometimes just you know picking up more slack because they don't have children um you know one one woman I spoke to um she's a lecturer and one of her students said oh like you're so successful you know you you've got this amazing career you've got these publications oh yeah so do you have children as well and she turned around and said no, no, I don't. Massive trigger, you know, in front of a whole class lecture hall. And the student like kind of put a hand on the desk, you know, like hit hit the desk and said, oh, that explains it then. That explains why you're so successful, because, you know, you don't have any children to to see to. And and it was just, you know, to hear it and everything that she'd been through, you know, and wanted children as well as her career, but, you know, was struggling. It's just so rife, you know, that you can just have children when you want. You know, it's just as easy as that. And I guess as well with social media now as well. So often you see perfect pregnancy bumps, you know, celebrities posting. 
We have seen more and more disclosures of loss in recent times, I've noticed, the last couple of years, um, which I think has been really positive. So notably, Meghan Markle spoke about her loss, didn't she? Um, and some other celebrities. Um, my cousin, and, Rebel Wilson. Oh, yeah. Did she speak about... Um, Your cousin, Rebel Wilson. Well, very, very distant. <laughs> very distant. So this is what the D, this is what the DNA thing will get you, Sarah. I'm convinced that Sarah do DNA test. But she, but she, but get back to the, what we we're talking about. Um, she came out and said that um, one of the reasons she lost weight was because to increase her chance of trying to get pregnant because she knows that she has issues. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was really brave to speak out, I think, and it gives other Definitely. people a platform, hmm. um, and it normalizes it, doesn't it? And this is part of the work we want to do is really making sure that, you know, miscarriage and infertility, childlessness is, is actually, you know, it becomes normalized because these issues are affecting so many people. Most definitely. Amy, Amy Schumer is another one. Mm-hmm. I think I read somewhere that she did have a successful IVF, but she did say that I'm never doing that again. Yeah. What that did to me absolutely I, I just can't go through that again so although although she was successful it, it does you know it, it is quite poignant in terms of you know what IVF does to a woman I mean I'm you know I'm talking to the converted yeah. but yeah what about I mean what about the issues though so obviously not everyone does IVF some people are obviously childless by circumstance so how do you raise awareness around those issues because that's even less obvious isn't it than IVF and things like that and it can be yeah I think that's a really good point because um you kind of have that double whammy don't you we were speaking earlier about if you don't have a partner and you also don't have children there's so much stigma around that and stereotypes you know about oh why why are they single you know why did they never get married or and yeah absolutely and there's so many reasons for being childless you know as opposed to being child free where you've chosen um and yeah it might be that you never met a partner a suitable partner or you you met your partner too late um you know so many other financial financial reasons um so yeah i mean we really because although obviously you you might be childless due to loss infertility Obviously, as you you know, um, and I know that you talk about this, you can be childless for many other reasons. And we are trying to raise awareness of those reasons as well, sort of more social factors. Um, and actually, it's kind of made quite impossible sometimes for people to have children um, or try for children young because, you know, of the pushing of um, careers and getting a house and stigma around being an unmarried parent and you know it still exists even though we think we've moved so far forward don't we but there's so much stigma but absolutely so so we do we actually separate and make sure that employers are aware so childlessness we have a complete kind of a separate section on it because we believe that it it can tie in with obviously someone might have losses or they might have um, infertility and then resulting childlessness but like you say there can be other reasons and they can be just as triggered 
you know and I, I think that this is often overlooked actually um because you might speak to people and they sort of say oh well I would have really liked to try for children but you know my my marriage broke down before before I I had that opportunity and then I just never met anyone else or you know it's yeah it, I think it's really crucial to raise awareness about that yeah it's kind of it ties in with that cultural pace doesn't it because that assumption that if you don't have children you've got all this extra time and capacity to take on all this extra work it's, it was the, the questions we got during the webinar we did a, um, a couple of weeks ago for world Children's week was there's this presumption that i'll take on this extra work there's this presumption that i'll do the extra hours there's this presumption that i won't need holiday and it's kind of all those unsaids isn't it that are tied up in that cultural you know piece that actually get missed time and time again because it's just oh well it'd be all right sarah do it sarah hasn't got kids you know yeah, what I mean I, I experienced that a lot I, you'll be all right you won't want Christmas off will you yes that's such a good example Christmas you know oh well oh, so-and-so has children so they shouldn't work on Christmas Eve you know Christmas Day whatever um we did have um so one man spoke to us actually about how he was told oh can you do that open evening because you know I've got children I need to put them to bed and you don't have children and actually no one knew his circumstances you know that he was very um he was in his his 30s but he was feeling very you you know he hadn't met a partner yet and he he really wanted to have children and that trigger and the discrimination of taking on more um, you know, often so evenings, weekends, and like you were saying, Christmas, holidays, Easter, whatever it is. And it's kind of like having that privilege because you're a parent, you know, is creating this disparity, this real unfairness, um, which I don't think many organisations really acknowledge. Um, no, I've, got a, I've got a story where um, I, I used to work in a very male dominated environment and um, Christmas was, you know, was the was the prize and so we had to we had to actually work at a roster so that you know um so many got christmas off so to make it fair yeah. i remember someone saying to me oh you haven't got kids can i swap with you and oh the 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 lang can we don't um how can i put this it was quite a quite an animated discussion and but the end result was no because i deserve a christmas off too so you can imagine put some choice words at the end of that and that was what that was what it was that's how it ended up it's really good that you felt able to challenge that um because you know that takes a lot of bravery i think because you have to then put yourself in a vulnerable position to say you know that well yeah i i i understand that and um, I guess from my point of view, it was a little bit different because, and um, so I want to, I want to sort of say this as a, as a bit of a, as a different behavior to think about at work, everyone knew my and Vicky's position, everyone, because I made sure I talked about it. Yeah. You know, and so that that 
you know, going through the IVF process, you know, you have to nip off home at certain, you know, at that specific time. So I just felt, well, look, rather I have this attitude, rather than keep things hidden, bring them out because then there's no ammunition. It's almost like there's no ammunition for people to, to, to hurt you. So, yeah. And so that allowed me then to have that courage to just go, Good job, no one's you know, no one could see this, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, that that gave me the you know, the chance to do that, so yeah. yeah. But I totally understand it, it is it, it can be an absolute you know, no, no, I can't do that. I, 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 I just couldn't say that to anyone. That's really good, really, really good to challenge. And um, we do find that often people say, Oh, well, I, I can't. I can't say, oh, that's not fair, because then I have to kind of admit that I'm struggling or, you know, and I think it's it's really difficult because some people, maybe they feel like it might make them vulnerable. It might make Mm. them in a position where, you know, oh, then I have to tell people and then their employer might assume, oh, they're going to try for a baby or let's not promote them. Um, I guess that must also be a difference between males and females as well, you know, where, um, you know, that, that's there's still that, what we talked about earlier, you know, oh, absolutely. we're going to get pregnant. Oh, hang on. Well, what do we do with her? You know? Yeah. Because she'll be, she'll be going on maternity leave. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing to say that we, we do really push for actually is to include partners within the policies and with you know when we're doing the training because partners are so often overlooked that they're going through a grief as well Mm. um uh, dr robin hadley i think you might have spoken about him in your last podcast um fantastic work he he does along with jody day as well um but you know he was really talking about how actually there's there's this assumption that men don't get broody um it's only women that really want to be a mum um and so so we're really kind of trying to raise awareness again about partners and the fact that they go through a grief and they're not in a support role or or they might be practically or whatever but they shouldn't be you know they also need time off they also need to grieve Um, most definitely I mean I'm I can't talk in detail about some of the discussions in the clan of brothers so that's the that's the male support group that Andy Harrod and I started to for childless men. Yeah, and yeah, I saw that. And um, a lot of the discussion in there is is obviously around our grief. Um, and yeah. you know, you see, it, it is it is the biggest thing that gets talked about in that group is is the male grief, one not recognised, but also the fact that they're not quite sure how to express it either. So it comes, it can come across as quite ang- as anger yeah. at times, you know, so that can be mis- misunderstood in workplaces. Yeah. Um, I, I actually said, I had a, a discussion with a woman in Canada who, who wanted to um, bring this to her workplace and, and interviewed me as a man who was childless and prepared to talk about it. And I said, look, you know, one of the things is that, you know, a childless man could be the person who's always up in front of in front of HR because he's got an anger issue. 
but it's actually, but it's the only way that he can express this grief that he's feeling because we are not, you know, we're not sophisticated in that, you know, we're not, as men, we're not that able to express emotion and have a vocabulary around it. So absolutely, totally agree. Yeah, and that I was think, a long-winded way, but yeah, no, totally it's great. And I saw that you set that up, and I think that's so positive because we speak to a lot of men who say, "I just don't have an outlet, and I just feel like I have to be strong for my partner." You know, she's the one that's gone through this grueling IVF. What have I been through? And actually, it's trying to educate that. Well, hold on, no, you've been there. You know, and you've had to hide and be the strong person for both of you. And you know, that's exhausting. And you know yeah so so we really want to help organizations to include partners whether they're male or female partners um but to really recognize you know that there's a grief there as well you know and even more so in a way that they might not have the network to kind of um to to process it because they they might not be able to talk to anybody so what's the hardest What's the hardest thing about your job when you, you know, you're making these policies or developing policies for other companies? What's the real thing that you've got to get through? You know, what's that nut that you've really got to crack before? <laughs> okay, so it's quite hard. Uh, we're talking earlier, weren't we, about cultural change is, is difficult because, you know, obviously um, it's Shine, isn't it, that talks about the different, um, like the core um, and getting down to that core layer is really difficult. Um, sometimes we find that HR, they just want to quickly put a policy in place to almost tick a box. And it might be that that person in HR, they have children and they might be very open about that and they might be very open, oh, I never struggled. You know, so it can be really difficult to try to raise awareness about issues that perhaps some people may think, oh, well, that's not really affecting anyone in our workplace. You know, that's that's not happening very often. You know, what's the point in this? They don't actually, recognize. Actually, that's a very good point. Uh, for World Childless Week, uh, I put on to my work's website that this is World Childless Week, and I shared my story and why I am putting this on here. And, um, and I also gave a few uh, examples of why it's important to recognise ch- childless people in the workplace. Uh, things like uh, pregnancy announcements in the office. Yeah. So, you know, can uh, think back. Did you ever notice someone excuse themselves when there was a pregnancy announcement? Because that'll be the person in the bathroom or the stairwell probably letting go of their grief. Yeah. The other example was uh, family photo walls. Imagine you're childless, and that is a thing you walk past every single day of your working life. Now, it's quite interesting how I got I got extreme amount of personal messages about that because um, women who were who were parents, but saying, I'm, "I I I never even thought." I never even thought about that. But also from a lot of other women that just said, thank you for bringing this up because I couldn't do that. 
I am one of those women and I couldn't bring it up. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, there were some tears. There were some tears when I was reading some of those messages. But you're right. It, it's that some people just just do not even see it, and it would be so hard to change their minds. Absolutely, and I think sometimes we come up against. Um, so when you're trying to raise awareness about the issues, they might say, "Oh yeah, I know someone who had a miscarriage. Oh, but they've got a kid now, and that they're fine." Yeah. And you kind of think oh hold on a minute you know so often people bring their own experiences and if they haven't been through this it can be very hard because they don't even realize that some of their own friends family members even are going through this you know what I mean because people feel such shame and such stigma about disclosing um so yeah we, we do come across that and often people just they want a quick fix and we're there to explain that actually this is something that, you know, this is going to take time and it needs to be an organisational approach. So we need to be able to explain to colleagues why it's not appropriate to send a picture of a scan in an email to across a whole department. You know, why that that's that's not actually OK. Um, mm. Because you know, and- I, I can imagine if it comes from the top, then, of course, it, it's, you know, here is why we are not doing this. But if it was to come from an individual, that would be, oh, who's that bitter and twisted person? I'm happy that I've got oh, a scan. Absolutely. And then it really, it puts you in that vulnerable position, doesn't it? If you're the mm. person that goes to HR and then you're admitting to HR, you know, and I mean, we, we have found um, issues with, with some um well, one example was um, an HR practitioner who, during the lockdown, actually sent an email to, to everyone, every, every staff member, and said, I don't know how you parents are doing it. You know, I just cannot imagine what you're going through. You know, I don't have children, and I just think, wow, I take my hat off to you. And to receive that email when you know, we were saying earlier, you had your fertility treatment postponed. You know, we've spoken to a lot of couples who had that happen. You know, maybe they were going abroad for their last possible chance um, and dealing with that grief in lockdown. And then you've got people living on their own, childless, again, as we mentioned. And I just think that there's, I think Jodie Day calls it a blind spot. Um, and what we want to really do is to educate organisational you know, organisation-wide about these issues and about pronatal behaviours, you know, um, always talking about families, this idea that families involve, you know, two parents who live together, man and a woman, uh, with two kids, you know, and we really need to change these narratives and to try and challenge, you know, that this isn't, actually um the norm for many people you know there's so many diverse um at least you know i'm still calling them families because i think people feel oh i can't say about my family because i don't have children but my family to me is my you know maybe my mom and my sister and i don't know um, my friends and they don't feel that they can use that word family if they live on their own quite interesting i love that 
I'm curious, I've, I've been sitting here listening to us all talking and there was a comment that we had again in that webinar about the kind of the them and an us, the them versus us. Yeah. The kind of, so we talk about pronatalism and obviously we're trying to change perspectives. How do we get away from that? Because obviously if somebody does raise the, there were some really good points about maternity and paternity leave and the fact that we don't get that. And there were also some comments about, well, if I want Christmas, I, I can't ask for that individually because that, that, that sounds bitter or it sounds like I'm just trying to be awkward. I wonder how we work around that. Have you had any experience or any thoughts around that? Yeah, so um, we try to, so for example, if you've got family friendly policies, for example, they're quite common because obviously employers wanted to show that actually we're doing this for mostly women, wasn't it? It was on their sort of gender equality um, agenda almost. So they wanted to address mothers. So often you've got these family friendly policies where it's like, OK, if you have children, these are the benefits that we offer, you know, childcare vouchers, um, flexi working, home working, whatever. And it's trying to make sure that actually we reword these policies that this is for everyone. You don't have to bring a reason. You don't have to be a parent to have this. Everybody's entitled to these privileges. Um, and what we are trying to avoid creating is this divide and trying to really, because actually some people who are parents have actually gone through these struggles as well. And some people we've spoken to, they might have had, had a child, but they're still triggered by pregnancy announcements. They're still triggered by um, scanned photos. It's, it's actually amazing because they, um, you know, something like um, one in six women get post-traumatic stress after a loss. It's really, really high. Um, and then obviously that's triggered um, by being around babies, prams, scans, all sorts. So yeah, really what we want to do is tackle this language that could be creating a divide and really making sure that these policies are inclusive and the way that we speak is inclusive. We're not segregating, oh, you parents, you know, and always talking about family as if it involves, you know, having children. So that's what we're really trying to tackle. It's hard, it's really hard, but what we do do is we bring real life examples that we've got permission to use that have been anonymized, of course, but we try and use that so that we can show managers HR but also colleagues you know where these triggers are happening and how they can avoid you know accidentally doing it so you know bringing a baby into work might sound like a lovely thing but my goodness the amount of that of times that comes up um so I should have also mentioned I'm, I'm doing a PhD on the topic as well so a lot of the work that I do with my business MIST is informed by the research um, not just research I'm doing, but, you know, the, the literature that's out there. Fortunately, there's not a lot um, because it's such a taboo. Um, but, yeah, so really trying to raise awareness of, like, the effects of these things, um, the effects of having baby showers in the workplace, you know. Um, like you were saying, that, that board, um, my goodness, having a board that's so visual that you're walking past, I mean, 
we often find now that people will announce in a newsletter or they'll email a whole department, you know, their news. And we're trying to inform organisations why this is very triggering and how they can actually manage this. You know, so perhaps having um, something that you sign up to if you want to, to receive those, those emails or that newsletter. However, then this can create a, oh, it's going to be really apparent now. People are going to know that I'm triggered by this. So maybe just another good way could be that, you know, you have like a personal news and that's, you know, with a disclaimer, um, you know, that this does contain um, news about uh, maternity leave. You know, so just really kind of um, putting disclaimers on can, can be really helpful and it can really acknowledge that this isn't just happening to a couple of people. Um, so, yeah, just trying to make that normalised. What do you say to, or what's the best term or approach if a parents, if parents push back and say, well, this is actually my good news. I want to share this. I have a right to share that I am, I have a family. I want to, I want to talk about my children in the workplace. It makes the workplace more human. What's a good approach if someone sat there and they're facing that? or they're feeling that that might be something they're going to come up against. What's a good way to tackle that? Is there a good way to tackle that at all? Yeah, it is really hard because there has been a push, hasn't there, recently to really kind of bring your personality to work and bring your identity, you know, be yourself and talk about things that are going on in your personal life. Um, and it is really difficult because we do meet parents who want to talk about the difficulties they face being a parent and juggling work. And of course, that's understandable. You know, that must be really difficult. Um, so it's kind of recognising that. Yes, you know, that that's really hard, you know, for you to balance that and you might want to bring that to talk about. However, it's not something that you know, you should be bringing into, for example, a team meeting, you know, talking about things that aren't related to work. So, you know, if you're there talking about, um, I don't know, like going to your nativity play or, you know, you have school school photos put on your desk, you know, it's raising awareness that actually, while, you know, you, you want to sort of um, bring that to work, how that could be triggering for people who you don't even realise. You know, people who haven't said anything to you because I think that's the problem some people think oh well if someone's struggling I'd know about it but they don't realize that actually no people often can't talk about it mm. um I've never personally come across any parent that said you know I really want to talk about my children in work or whatever but I think it's more implicit isn't it um I don't know if you've come up against that yourself it's, it's been an implicit thing it's been yeah. a um if, if if it's mentioned face to face and it's a sort of like a, a a frown and a well you're it's and dismissed mm. and the conversation just carries on anyway I think one of the things that came up as well actually is a slight digression to this is actually LinkedIn popped up quite a lot in that work um, webinar that we were doing how do you handle LinkedIn and I absolutely totally 
completely agree because we were doing a lot around World Childless Week. So the Full Stop podcast is on LinkedIn. We have a page there that anyone can go and look at. Um, and we shared a lot. And I was looking through the hashtag. And actually, every single time I saw it as myself, not just as, as a full stop, but went in and just liked and supported where I saw the hashtag because a lot of people were posting something that might have just been a share or they may have actually said, look, this is me. And of course, it's the tumbleweed. And then that, you know, just the tumbleweed can make you think, oh, I really shouldn't have, have posted that. Sort of going through and just going through, look, you know, thank you on behalf of World Childless Week as an ambassador for World Childless Week. Thank you very much for sharing this. And here's the website for World Childless Week, and here's the full stop podcast. And we're here. Um, but I can do that because I've shared that story. But you know, LinkedIn is is extremely hard at the moment because it doesn't have any way of muting words that you may not want to see and I've noticed that because of my Google habits that obviously I'm looking up the full stop podcast is in itself somehow linked in Google's mind to to to, to pregnancy yeah. um, and oh, of course goodness. then LinkedIn starts to bring up all the adverts and it's just yeah. like an, I've been stalked by um, some fertility solutions company on LinkedIn at the moment but actually my oh. principal work in trade is a designer um, you know I'd like to know more about yeah. some fonts for me it's not about that but it's it's that sort of behavior I think again LinkedIn the authenticity and let's be ourselves and um so many people do this moral dictatorial bullshit about using their children on LinkedIn. Oh, my daughter has a paper round and, you know, she saves three pensioners and, and one granny and, you know, um, <laughs> sort of anything. Oh, for God's sake, please, you know, because actually, A, it's a trigger, B, it's probably completely made up. And <laughs> it's it's just really tricky. And I find I find I have to go in and just take a really deep breath and be in the right frame of mind for LinkedIn in the way that I think I used to be with Twitter until I learned that actually you can hide all these words but LinkedIn currently yeah. doesn't offer that and it's really tough actually yeah definitely um it's it's difficult because there's no sort of easy solution that you know you can just kind of say this is what you need to do but what we are trying to do is trying to tackle this kind of one organization at a time you know and really try and get in there and not just training managers HR but training organization wide and really trying to show you know where there may be triggers where there may be discrimination that people hadn't noticed before you know um, we also do some training on you know kind of what to say and what not to say if someone discloses to you um, because often people say oh yes I've had a disclosure um, and I just didn't know what to say. I was lost for words. You know, I just, no one's ever disclosed anything about, you know, the miscarriage to me ever. And you think, my goodness, the, because of how common this is, you know, we really need to equip managers with the tools to know what to say. Um, and that's what we're trying to do, really, not just through kind of formal policy, but through training as well. Yeah, my um, my sister-in-law, um, I, I think I've so, said this story before, but I'm old. I'm allowed to repeat myself. <laughs> um, she had the occasion to meet a woman at her work who was childless. And she actually offered that to the, there was, I think it was a group of three or four women. 
And so she offered that to the women. And don't get me wrong, my sister-in-law is the sweetest, sweetest woman. But I said, what did you do next? Because she, she actually does talk to me about this. So, you know, so it's always good to chat with her. But anyway, she said, I said, what did you do next? She goes, change the subject. Mm. And I said, so just, just let me, as a manager of people, just let me put this from a different perspective to you. So there's this, there's this thing that this woman is holding deep inside, this grief that is just, it can be, you know, totally consuming at times. She has offered that to you and you've changed the subject. Now, I know you changed the subject because you didn't know what to say, but think about how she now feels. Yeah. And admittedly, my sister-in-law was devastated once I told her that. I mean, she felt absolutely shit. Yeah. I said, imagine how that woman feels now. So you need, so I can't remember exactly what I said to her, but I said, you need to recognize that and you need to ex- at least say, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry or, or, or something. And is, would you like to talk about it? I'd like to understand. Yeah. It's not difficult, is it? But it happens so often, mm. actually. And I think there's that, that thing where you, you say something and I know it happened to me at the beginning when I started to get that little bit of bravery and just say, look, actually, this is a thing, you know, I've had miscarriages or, you know, and this is my story. Or li- just a little bit, a tiny, tiny little bit of something about me. And then no one responds or, or people say, oh, I'm sorry, blah, 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 here's my children. And he, hang, hang on, how, how am I meant to reframe this to you? How can you be so damn dismissive? Yeah. I think, you know, it's it's so incredibly hurtful because it feels like you're being ignored or devalued and it should never be like that. It, it, yes. it It's, again, disenfranchised grief. It makes me so angry on behalf of the listeners to this episode who are sitting there thinking, I tried or I want to try and are too scared to try I'm angry for them that they don't have that platform but equally so amazed and delighted and inspired by the fact that you are there Katie doing what you're doing it's absolutely incredible because it must be hard for you sometimes surely absolutely when you do have the disclosures you know it's because it's such emotive work um, it, it can be difficult to hear, you know, some people's stories and their experiences in work and how they've been able to still go back in and still do their job. I just, you know, I think it's amazing. But, um, yeah, definitely. I think people feel almost, they say that they feel awkward. So, you know, if somebody discloses, you know... <sighs> a loss or you know that they're going through fertility treatment that they're struggling because their child is not by choice they feel that they're not equipped with the tools to be able to support that person and this isn't just managers this is society wide isn't it this can be your best friend or even some people say oh goodness you know I I disclosed to to my own mum who you know said something really insensitive um and, and you, you do hear and often it minimizes as well because people might try and make you feel better so in society we're taught aren't we always trying to find a solution like you were saying but also we want people to feel good 
and we want to take away any awkwardness. So if someone sort of says that to us, it's like, oh, well, um, you know, oh, well, at least, you know, at least you, you've still got time to try or, or at least, you know, you, you've got a nice partner. <laughs> we hear that one. Or at least, you, you know, you, you, um, you can have a lie in, which is the one we spoke about earlier. But it's, yeah, but people, I think that they feel they don't have the tools to, to know what to say. So we actually do do communication training, um, which we found a real positive reaction to that because it's giving people more confidence when they do have a disclosure, especially they say knowing what not to say. Um, Because often some people just want to be heard. They don't want a solution. They don't want you to make it better. (laughs) They definitely don't want you to say, you know, oh, um, have you considered adoption? that just comes up time and time again it's like no that's funny I've never I've never considered that <sighs> honestly but yeah it's trying to really educate and um you know change one workplace at a time really <laughs> amazing How, where do you see it going so you mentioned you're doing a PhD where, where do you ultimately want to take it yeah um so I, I do want to have an academic career. I do want to publish in this area. But importantly, you know, to me is to really put this into practice. Hence why I've set up missed workshops. So I'd like to continually have, you know, the most up-to-date research to share with organisations and to really make a practical change. Because I think it's really important that this issue is is tackled and addressed and so that people aren't suffering in silence you know because if we have a miscarriage policy if we have you know um a fertility policy if we acknowledge childlessness you know then it actually means that people will disclose more and they'll be able to feel that this isn't just happening to me so yeah there's a real practical element to to what i'm doing um so not just academic and just sat on the dusty shelf, you know, really making practical changes. Wow. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I've yeah. been so inspiring yeah. today. Yeah. I thought we were so quiet, wasn't it? We were all like, yeah. <laughs> solutions. <gripped. laughs> there are solutions to this. I think that it's the first time that I've I've come away thinking there are solutions. Yeah. Because of what yeah. you're doing, Katie. It's incredible because yeah just to have at least if nothing else people can go to your website and they can say to somebody in HR here's Katie she does this can we get her into our workplace absolutely how amazing is that yeah that that was actually one one way we we had um we we did help an organization because someone put it to HR and then HR contacted us um and yeah, we, we do put our webinars up there as well so that organisations can listen to what we offer. Um, and, you know, whilst, yeah, it is a business, but the, the making money side of it isn't really what appeals to us at all. It's just trying to change um, the views. I mean, yeah, obviously you've got to pay your bills, but, you know, I do feel very passionate about it. So that's really important to us as well. It's about making change and raising awareness of the issues um so we do have very affordable prices you know for organizations 
and we also do tailored um, packages as well because we want to work with organizations and understand what their individual needs are if that makes sense mm. and they do vary it's quite interesting they do vary because you know um so some companies will say to us well you know this doesn't affect us because you know we're we're male dominated really so I, I don't think that this is important is it and you think oh goodness this is <laughs> so crucial for all workplaces to, to acknowledge and yeah. if nothing else it means that people have the tools to go home and to do better even if it's not colleagues they may may be a small company that they're not aware that this is a, a thing or perhaps genuinely there actually isn't anybody within their company who at that point is is childless not by choice or going through some kind of um childless journey but they've got something they can take out into society and they can pass it on and go actually i went to this really brilliant workshop with katie last week and I know what to say. Yes. I feel I have, I am enabled. And that then just becomes like a kind of a, you know, a, a role of information. You know, someone starts somewhere and then it becomes bigger and in knocking down, you know, these triggers and these issues one yeah. by one. Um, Absolutely. How incredible. We, um, one example we have, we, we work with a, a small company and they just, did not realize that they had done this, but one of their recruitment um, flyers that they put out, they didn't realize that they thought, oh, we're gonna try and attract female, um, you know, female talent because we're really lacking there. We're lacking having females in, in management. So let's try and appeal. So in the actual job advert, they talked about, oh, we, we have a four day week and you know, this is great for parents, but they actually put that in. Oh God, I, I knew you were going to say something like that. Just, oh God, it makes you just like, oh my God. And it was so well-intentioned. It was yeah. so well-meant, you know, because they thought, oh, how can we attract women? But it was like, no, because actually this is creating segregation. This is actually discrimination. You know, um, you're creating an us and them and actually whether they're a parent or not it should not impact on whether they get the job or not or whether the job appeals to them or not you know the same privileges the same rights that's what we're really trying to to help organizations with wow thank you so much that's brilliant there are podcast episodes all of them that i always think wow and this is yeah Mm. another wow moment Thank you so much for having me and, uh, you know, giving this platform to MIST to talk about what we do. And, you know, thank you for everything you do for your own listeners as well, because, you. you know, I have had people say, oh, yeah, I've seen that podcast. And, you know, isn't it amazing how they share their really emotive stories so openly and it really gets people talking, you know. So thank you for everything that you do and, you know, for, for doing doing this raising awareness and putting yourselves out there oh it's a pleasure I think if we we can share something that just makes that just helps one person I think that's it isn't it really I think that's true of everybody in the the, the, in this area as we I don't know we've 
So we're sort of, you know, like a, a thought leaders. I don't know about yeah. thought. Anyone sort of lead my thoughts, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah and Michael will tell you, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not quite sure about that either because when we were talking there about what do you do in, a, in an office if someone does that, I was thinking about a cattle prod or a room with 500 <laughs> sheets of paper. So, yeah. Um... Direct... <laughs> yeah. I kind of walked away from it all so, and thought, no, mm. okay, you know, I'm, I'm not doing that. As, um, Sarah and I both do other things yeah, um, as well. Yeah. But, again, actually within that you find other triggers. They're just different triggers. Um, yeah. You know, like I say, the whole sort of day with the with the, um, with the freelance thing, and you think, oh, hang on a minute, you know. and then you come away and think, oh, that's my problem. But I think, no, actually, it's not. It really is not my damn problem. It's partly my problem because I've got the trigger. But actually, no, it's not. It's the way that actually society functions, and it's just wrong. Yeah, Renatism. Really oh, it is. What a challenge on all levels, but. We can start with a workplace and then... <laughs> we can, can't we? Katie, if people want to find you, what's your website? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Oh, yeah. Um, so it's Mist Workshops, M-I-S-T. Um, and, yeah, we've got a website and on there you can find my email address. But we're active on Twitter, share a lot on their latest research and what we do. Um, so we're at Mist Workshops on Twitter as well. Lovely. Um, yeah, so do... Do please get in touch anytime um, if we can help your organisation, especially, or if you're a manager and you, you want to be able to help, um, you know, to be more inclusive because, you know, this is a discrimination issue and it's only going to become more and more um, of a bigger issue, I think, especially with tackling gender equalities and gender disparities. Um, yeah. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Okay. Thank you so much again for having me. Thank oh, you. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you. That's fantastic. Fascinating. Thank Just you. out of curiosity, are you on LinkedIn as well? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, but you can find me under, obviously, my name, Katie Schnitzler. Um, but I need to set up a page really for Missed Workshops. Yeah. Do. Yeah. yeah. We'll come and find you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's create some kind of powerhouse one of one of the things actually I'm hoping that I can do um is to set up a network of people who are freelance or business owners who are childless not by choice across all genders so that actually we can be kind of a, a powerhouse we can actually trade with each other if we wanted to but also um just have those that support in place for us because our situations are slightly different um i know gateway women have their change makers as well so another place that people can look at if they want um a bit more support um it's in part of their membership group um so you'd have to be a member but they do have yes, within yeah. mighty networks the change makers and there's amazing stories coming out and a really nice place to share stuff but what i'd quite like to do is set something up in yeah. the near future for yeah. freelancers and business owners specifically them as opposed to perhaps people being in employment um, yes. Let, so me know if need, let me know if you need help with that. I'll be all. Oh, the full stop podcasts are going to be roped in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no choice. Okay. <laughs> I think it's something that we actually probably need to, to. I think it's something that we can do, but I also think as well, it's a subject that we need to return to um, again yeah. as a podcast because it affects so many of our listeners and our demographic. 
As Berenice just said, we will revisit this topic again as it's such an important part of an inclusive workplace. We'll leave all of Katie's details in the show notes and in our newsletter that Berenice will craft with the release of this episode. We'd love to hear others' opinions on the podcast too, or you may have a suggestion on how to improve it. Or you might be looking to follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. And all these links and the contact details can be found on our website, www.thefullstoppod.com. Now, we would also appreciate if you could rate us on the platform you're using to listen to the podcast, because the more ratings we get, it means the algorithm will make us more visible and we can reach more of our community that are feeling that no one understands. We love hearing from our audience too, so please drop us a line at any time. And as always, it's important for us to let you know you are not alone.